As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest Summer Transfer Roundup episode. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who loves transfer rumours as much as Man United CEO loves discussing business with strangers in a bar. Taylor Rockwell, hello. <laughs> so begrudgingly is how much I love them. Yeah, that's about how much I love transfer rumours. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing, buddy? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Taylor. How's, how's your life at the moment? Life is good. Life is good over here. Uh, less so as a Manchester United fan, seeing all of the, the fun, fun headlines while every other club in Europe seems to be strengthening and making smart signings. And uh, my, my club, my preferred club, is busy uh, getting into discussions at bars, which is kind of cool, but maybe not ideal. Yes, Manchester United CEO Richard Arnold uh, having uh, some discussions with disgruntled fans at a local bar. Let's get into that a little later because I'd like to bring in the rest of the crew right now. Though Joining us as well, uh, a man who spent his weekend in Los Angeles, well, in a city 13 miles south of Los Angeles called Carson, (laughs) Arizona Joe Larry. (laughs) That is right, Ryan. It's not quite L.A., but it's it's close enough to L.A. Thankfully, well, I don't want to be mean to people in Carson, but I wasn't just in Carson the whole time. Got to spend some time at the beach, got to take a little mini vacation. It was it was lovely. It was really, really nice. Uh, do people who go to Carson every day call themselves Carson Daily people? Ah, that that hurts, <laughs> Ryan. Joe, are you a are you a like like just hang out at the beach person? Are no. you a book person? Are you activities? What are you into at the beach? So I am I, I'm far too pale to hang out at the beach ah. for any long period of time. So I am like the classic sunscreener shirt on at least for large stretches of this whole situation i i did pop in my airpods and listen to a couple of podcasts which was a really nice way sort of one airpod in listening to the water in the other ear it was yeah it was great it's weird to be back in the hot box that is phoenix arizona but it's also good to be back (laughs) a couple of podcasts you mean tss and soccer 101 episodes because i don't understand if there are any others out there yeah are there more i wasn't under the impression that there were anymore so yeah Yeah, excellent. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you for supporting us in our numbers there, Joseph. Uh, Rounding out the group, as always, a man who says Scottish fullbacks are the new Brazilian forwards. Explain yourself, Graham Rathman. Of course they are. It's it's the new it's the new trend. It's the new fad. Have you got a Brazilian forward? And do you have a Scottish fullback? Liverpool signing Calvin Ramsey. 
this week for, I think, about £6 million. Aaron Hickey apparently going to Arsenal to join their other Scottish fullback, Kieran Tierney. Of course, Ramsey is joining Liverpool where they already have Andy Robertson. I'd quite like it if, if these clubs would stop hoarding them all and kind of spread them out so they get some game time. But I can't complain. People said that Scotland <laughs> couldn't build a world-class team full of fullbacks. Well, we're going to try. We're going to try with all these guys. <laughs> Could you actually get a decent fullback 11 together, do you think, Graham? So I think we have now five or six that are... So Andy Robertson, Kieran Tierney, Aaron Hickey, Nathan Patterson, Calvin Ramsey. Yeah, so... We've got a few. We've got a few. Halfway there. I like to hear it. All right, we're going to get into the transfer. I can't believe that wasn't a Scotland World Cup joke. That felt fully like a setup to something about Scotland not being at the World Cup. Uh, but since it wasn't, Graham, I'll instead ask you, do you feel uncomfortable with with Joe coming for your territory at all by trying to claim the far too pale category? Or are you okay with him <laughs> having that title? Uh, no, he, he can have that. The, the, the weird thing is... I, I, a cruel trick was played on me at birth where I actually tan really easily, uh, but uh, but live in Scotland. That's so. a cruel... Tr- oh, I guess it is a cool trick. Yeah, that is... That's tough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just... it's. I like to think it's just your skin being like, we get so little sunlight, then when we get it, we got to get like a, like tan yeah. as, as quickly as possible or we're in trouble. Make the most of it. Yeah, this exactly. tan has to last you three years. <laughs> It's in the same way as a tree falling in the woods with no one around, does it make a sound? Uh, does a Graham who tans well, who lives in Scotland, ever have tan skin? Is the question, I suppose. <laughs> the weird thing about having being easily uh, having skin that easily tans in Scotland is when you get a tan, people notice and you look really weird. Like when I went to a wedding two weeks ago and everyone was in, oh, you, you've been somewhere sunny or you've just been on the sunbeds. Thankfully, I had been somewhere sunny and <laughs> hadn't... Uh, yeah, hadn't been on the sunbeds. Well, I was somewhere this weekend, gents, the opposite of sunny. I got a couple of uh, soccer-related stories from my weekend. I went back to the UK for the weekend. Uh, firstly, you'll be delighted to hear I stayed with my brother in his neighbourhood and we did a 10k run on Sunday morning in which my brother pretty Casual. much the whole time pointed out soccer players' houses. It was wonderful. <laughs> so literally, we did a 10k loop and I think within about 5k, we had Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Declan Rice, Christian Penteke, Steve Sipwell was on his driveway and said hello to us, um, Anton Ferdinand, Simon Jordan's house, which has a ridiculous sort of thing on the top of his house I can't describe, where you could have like a telescope and look at the sky. What did you call that? An observatory. Does he live an observatory? He's got an observatory at the top of his house. It's ridiculous. Um, and so many Lamborghini Urus. Is it the Urus, Graham, which is the SUV? Yeah, yeah the I SUV think that's an Audi, really. 95% of the Lamborghini Uruses are in that neighbourhood belonging to soccer players. And um, it was a wonderful little guided tour I got through this neighbourhood, which I probably won't name um, for, for safety reasons on this podcast. I think you put it out on your Instagram. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I thought it was mediocre football lane. Is that not where <laughs> your brother lives? No? <laughs> That's where my uh, my football club plays, actually. Ah, Taylor. Of course. Um, no, they, they, um, there was some very good footballers in his in his neighbourhood. Um, yeah, very 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 strange that all these great soccer players live within a couple of kilometres of each other in this lovely lovely neighbourhood. But uh, is yeah. there Hernando's close by? Of course there is. There always is. Well, you that, can always throw a stone at Hernando's in the UK, Graham. You know that. That explains it then. Whatever there are Nando's, <laughs> there's a circle of footballers living around that that Nando's. That's right, that's right. Oh, and and one other fun thing that happened, um, flying back to Italy earlier this very day as I record, a few rows in front of me, there was another soccer podcaster um, sitting in front of me, Max Rushton. Um, There are actually other podcasts out there. Yeah, Ryan, hold on. So it wasn't me, Taylor, or Graham, so I I think you're mistaken about that? 
Yeah, um, he was on the TV. Okay, he was a TV oh, guy from back TV in the day. Man. Of course, Matt okay. Crush, TV man. TV man. Yeah, yeah. And I, there was there was me sitting on the plane thinking, if if this if this plane goes down, we could lose two true titans of the soccer podcast hosting <laughs> world. Why was there another soccer podcast? Yeah, there was, <laughs> there was him. And there was another guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask. I was listening to a podcast once. See another one uh, where comedians were discussing how they don't like when there are more famous people than them on the plane because they're. <laughs> Is that like if something were to happen, they're going to get the headline? Yes. Do you feel like Max Rushton would have dominated the headlines if something were to happen over Ryan Bailey? 100%. 100%, Tay Tay. Even yeah. with that jog through the famous neighborhood, still no difference, huh? Neither I know. Hasn't I'm, moved? I'm, as we were going down, it was, but I just saw Tammy Abraham's house. <laughs> oh, that, was, that would be how it gone down. Those are sad last words, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one, um, one transfer deal I'd like to announce, by the way. I have officially transferred from Window Seat FC to Isle United. Yes. I'm yes. fully on board. I've, I've been Window Seat till I die until relatively recently when I realized I quite like to get up and not bother people. How does everyone else feel? Uh, Graham, yeah. how do you feel? LC FC. I I I need that. I've got long legs, so and I, I kind of need to sit out into the aisle, which is a a bit of a ha- uh, a hazard when the trolley comes by and they just smash straight into my legs. <laughs> and but it's better than the aisle seat and being all cramped in there. Taylor, middle seat, baby, all the Mid- way. Down. What, what? Uh, middle kidding, seat? Kidding, no, that's the kind of thing though, Taylor, that you would actually think slash <laughs> no. want for some unknown reason. <laughs> yeah, you were about uh, to be cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I'm just choosing the chaos answer. I don't know. I think I still go. I think I still go window because you can lean up against it and fall asleep, and that's what flying on a plane is all about for me. It's just an opportunity to sleep for like an hour uninterrupted. Joe, you po- you're possibly the tying vote. I'm no good at math. ASFC all the way. Three to one. Boom. Nice. Done. Okay. I was actually on the window a couple of weeks ago, and a girl handed me her phone and said, "Would you take a picture? It's for the gram." <laughs> Gotta respect the hustle. Yeah. <laughs> So I took a picture of myself and gave it back. There we go. Oh, All right, should we get to the what transfer? What filter did you put on it? Oh. <laughs> I don't need no filters, baby. Uh, <laughs> let's get to the transfers, shall we? I've rambled on long enough. Why don't we start off uh, Joe Lowry with Darwin Nunes, Benfica to Liverpool. It is official, I believe, now. 75 million euros with potentially 25 million in add-ons as well. The Uruguayan getting the famous number 27 shirt at Anfield. So we've seen a fair bit, the four of us, we've seen a fair bit of Darwin Nunes watching Champions League and watching some Benfica last season. He is a vertical, rangy, quick attacking player. And, and I want to say striker, which I'm pretty confident is what he's going to be playing for Liverpool. I'm very confident that that's going to be his role. But that wasn't his only role last season in Portugal or in the Champions League. He played up front. He played as, as part of you know, sort of a dual strike partnership, playing both roles in that front line. He also played off the wing, shifting over to that left side as well. So he did a lot of different things. He's not a... He's not a very good 1v1 merchant. He, he can beat you in 1v1 duels, but the reason why I don't love him out on the wing is I think he's a little he's a little reductive in that role. So he, I don't think he's a great fit out wide for what Liverpool want to do, but I think you can see his profile by looking at the number of different roles that he's played. He's rangy, he's quick, he'll spread the field, he'll shift and drift into different spaces. He's right-footed, and I think maybe the most interesting part of this deal is how he could change Liverpool. Darwin Nunes, as a player is different, very, very different than Roberto Firmino. He is very, very different, I would say, than Sadio Mane as well, who really is a north-south kind of player. I think when he, when we saw Mane playing as the nine, he would drop in occasionally, but it was a, a lot of runs in behind in the vertical channel. 
Nunez, I think, is going to vary his movement a little bit more. So I'm just curious to see how Jurgen Klopp adapts. He's adapted plenty and, and adapted well over his last few years as Liverpool's manager. I think bringing Nunez in is going to require another evolution of this historically great Liverpool team. And I'm very curious to see exactly what that evolution is going to look like. So that's interesting, Joe, because I've seen Nunes described as the natural successor to Sadio Mane, but this is really more of an evolution then. I, I think it is. There are a lot of similarities between how they play. They both really do like to get in behind, and they're, they're quick. They're both quick players trying to move into those spaces, and they're decisive in how and when they move. But you look at Nunez's physical profile, and he's he's a very different than Mane. Mane's, I actually don't know how tall he is off the top of my head, but I imagine he's sort of average height, 5'10", 5'11", in that range. Nunez is tall. He's over six foot. He's lankier. And when you watch him, if you really squint, like if you really, really squint and imagine drinking some sort of nice coffee somewhere in France, you could almost imagine it was Thierry Henry and how he moves off the ball at times in his long legs. So I don't think Mane and Nunez are the exact same type of player. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like from, from one era to the next, but I do think there's going to be a change from, from the Mane era of the nine to the Nunez era, just like there was, or at least in some similar ways to how there was a change from Firmino to Mane. And Joe, I think I really end up liking this move for Liverpool because it does allow them to kind of evolve from what they've been doing. I was reading a quote from Carlo Ancelotti uh, after the Champions League final where he talked about, basically, we know what Liverpool are going to do and we know how to play against that. Don't give them space to run in behind the defense. Uh, we didn't play particularly like beautiful soccer, but we didn't want to incentivize their pressing playing out of the back. And I think that speaks to, with Liverpool, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get a 4-3-3. It's going to be high pressing. It's going to be high tempo. They're going to try to hit you on the break and, and make, like, make advantage of that space in behind. And at a certain point, even if you're very, very good at that, you can become predictable. And I think some of the moves that Liverpool are making or will be making this window, Darwin Nunez chief amongst them, gives them like variability they could play in a 4-2-3-1 now they could play in a 4-3-3 maybe they shift to a back three on occasion it just gives them different looks while still I think keeping the core concepts the same and that allows even more adaptability while still playing fundamentally the kind of heavy metal heavy metal football that we've come to expect yeah and I think of all the teams that Nunez was linked with I mean, we spoke at length about Darwin Nunes on the last Transfers podcast we did, and that was only about two weeks ago, and we spoke about Manchester United and Newcastle and even West Ham, and I think we might have mentioned Liverpool, but they weren't seen as front runners at that time. But of all those clubs, Liverpool, for me, is the most interesting for all the reasons that, Joe and Taylor, you, you've, you've both detailed there. We don't really know how it's going to change this team. One thing that should work well for Liverpool is Nunes is really good in the air. And Liverpool have two of the best crossers around in the form of Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. At the moment, Liverpool's aerial threat tends to come from Virgil van Dijk and Konate at corners and sometimes Diogo Jota, who's deceptively good in the air. But a lot of the time, Liverpool's crosses are actually sort of diagonal passes to, to the back post where Mane or Salah is, is running in and very often they'll bring the ball down. They're not going to get their head on it. Nunes is a different sort of forward in the way that he attacks those crosses so that it's going to be interesting I think it's going to be interesting to see whether that changes the profile of the team not just in terms of the tactics and the formation and Taylor you're right this maybe facilitates a 4-2-3-1 which you could argue Liverpool have been building towards for for a couple seasons maybe we're going to see that from them this season but also just the profile of the team as well it, it raises a lot of questions. Um, Graham, uh, Sadio Mane has gone to Bayern for around £28 million. Uh, Robert Lewandowski rumoured to be off to Barcelona with apparently they have around €50 million Euros to spend. Who knew? But apparently they do. Uh, your thoughts on that one? 
I I am amazed that Sadio Mane's gone for what did you say twenty eight million pounds about Around forty that. million euros. I understand he's into the final year of his contract. I understand he is what he's thirty years old now, but nonetheless he's still one of the best attackers. He's probably a top five attacker in European football at the moment, and for for Bayern Munich to get him for twenty eight million pounds, I think is I think is a steal because they'll probably get three or four good years out of him. I think that is also a very interesting transfer for many of the, the the same reasons we've just spoken about Darwin Nunes going to Liverpool. I think Sadio Mane probably changes the profile of, of Bayern Munich. We, uh, you know, last season was a funny one for Bayern because it sort of felt like Julian Nagelsmann was holding himself back a little bit and maybe that was wise at the time. It might not have gone so well if he'd gone into there as a winning team and completely broken everything apart. He went for kind of more subtle tweaks. Bayern largely played in the same 4 2 3 one shape I know he experimented a little bit once injuries kind of forced his hand but their approach was similar and now it feels like with Mane coming in and potentially Lewandowski going out that Nagelsmann is going to look at things in a in a very different way tactically this season because there's a knock-on effect of well how does what what does Mane coming in mean for Leroy Sané what does it mean for Serge Gnabry assuming he stays and Coleman stays as well because I think he's going to play Manny very much as a centre forward for Bayern Munich. Of course, there'll be times when he plays out in a wide, but I think primarily he's going to be used in that position. And that changes the profile of Bayern Munich, just as bringing in Darwin Nunes could change the profile of Liverpool as well. Do you think, Graham, that that adding Mane makes Bayern better? Really, the the question is adding Mane and subtracting Lewandowski, because it will make them different. Lewandowski is more of a Mm well-rounded kind of classic number nine he can play with his back to goal more than Mane does it changes them do you think it it improves them that is uh this is gonna be a classic Joe Lowry answer here <laughs> I'm gonna sit in the fence because I, I'm I'm genuinely not sure because Lewandowski is one of the best finishers around but he is a penalty box operator in the way that Sadio Mane isn't so at the start of the summer there was a bit of chat that Nagelsmann wanted Christopher and Cuckoo they were priced out of that move but I think Mane could do a similar job for Bayern Munich where he is a bit more fluid, he will drop deep, he will he will float wide, he will do a lot of things that Lewandowski doesn't and as I said that's going to have a, a knock-on effect on players around him as well so I guess it's almost like a chemical reaction how those players react to Mane coming in and if he gets more out of those players than Lewandowski was then I think Bayern Munich can be stronger as a team but taking how many goals did Lewandowski score last season like 8, 50 or something like that yeah yeah exactly taking 8,000 goals out of a team <laughs> is uh, that, that's going to be difficult to compensate for that going to be difficult to find that in other places in, in the team because even if Manny has a good season he's not going to score as many goals as Lewandowski so there are a lot of questions around that move I'd say there are more questions about that move than there is about Darwin Nunes going to Liverpool because it feels like he could be a supplementary attacker whereas Manny it feels like he's going in to be the focal point of that team I still feel like ultimately it's it's a representation of the changing of the guard for Bayern Munich, that they're backing the manager. We talked about this last time, I think we talked about Lewandowski leaving, that it seems like they're backing a younger manager who has ideas about how he wants to play that can get, I think, newer, younger players in that potentially will cost less and then be able to be sold on for more. Lewandowski, I think more of a representation of past managers and past styles of play. By all accounts, it was a pretty big falling out. Lewandowski feeling strongly that bridges have been burned and I think a lot of that has to do with what was asked of him and how he was sort of covered uh, this past season and so to me letting him move on even though it's been pretty acrimonious and especially if they're going to get some money uh, as he leaves and then reinvesting it into a player like Sadio Mane and whomever else they buy that 
you would assume, buys into the system, has already bought into a high-intensity pressing system previously. Uh, so I, I think it lets Bayern as well evolve. Uh, the question just remains, is this a successful evolution or is this the kind of uh, sputtering evolution we've seen from them previously and then they revert to the norm when it doesn't work out? Time will tell, Tata. Time will tell. Uh, very <laughs> quick break. When we come back, we've got plenty more to talk about from the Premier League, from Europe, and lots more. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking transfers. Tater, I think we should talk about Raheem Sterling. This one isn't official in the books yet, but plenty of rumours as we record that Mr Sterling will be moving from Manchester City to Czech's notes, Chelsea this time mm-hmm. around. Uh, and also some obviously some speculation that Romelu Lukaku is in advanced stages of making a loan move uh, back to Italy. Um, I've seen some press sources saying this is, you know, getting some firepower in losing Lukaku. I'm not sure this is quite a like-for-like transaction here but interesting to see Sterling going to Chelsea for sure well I'm assuming they're hoping it's not like for like uh, because if you're replacing Lukaku then I guess it's not going to go particularly well this season but I am (sighs) still with that in mind sort of confused about this one I think it makes sense for Sterling to leave Man City uh, based on what I've read just that he doesn't seem like there's going to be guaranteed minutes that they are going to be evolving themselves that Holland has come in so that limits opportunities further and so I think if you're at Raheem Sterling maybe you're looking for potential greener pastures or at the very least another big payday and a new opportunity to play under a different manager but then you look at Chelsea and it, it seems like where he would fit they already have plenty of options yeah. and so then I guess if you're going to use him as a false nine that's theoretically okay but I also don't know like if if that had worked so glowingly Sterling as a false nine then that's what Man City would have done all last season and instead they tried lots of different looks in that spot so I I think if anything the departure from City makes plenty of sense to me uh, for Sterling the move to Chelsea makes less sense unless it's an an indicator that they're going to be moving on Pulisic Pulisic or Ziyech or whomever it may be. Graham, what do you think on this one? I, I, I agree with Taylor. It doesn't quite make sense as the landscape sits, but it does suggest maybe there will be some room cleared out at Chelsea. Yeah, I, I find this one confusing, but maybe Tuchel has something in, in mind. So, Taylor, you said maybe he's going to play through the middle. Well, for me, that's the one position in Chelsea's attacking line where they, they don't need someone because I think Kai Havers did such a good job last season. The only thing I can think of is if he's going to play a, a front three 
then maybe bringing in Gabriel Jesus, which is the other rumour with Chelsea at the moment. So Jesus, Havertz and Sterling on the left is a very, very fluid front line. So maybe that's the idea from Tuchel and he's just going to build a completely new attack and players like Werner and Pulisic and, and Ziyech are going to be pushed aside. But that's a that's a lot of turnover in, in one window to, to go through. You could have, I guess, Sterling as a secondary striker because Chelsea had been using a front two with Havertz and Timo Werner towards the end of the season there. So maybe... Sterling is the Timo Werner replacement, um, but it's it doesn't feel like a priority for Chelsea, given that their entire defence has left the club this window, and maybe that is where they should be spending their money. As Piliqueta, Rudiger's now a Real Madrid player, Andreas Christensen is at the end of his contract, so three first-team defenders have left Chelsea, and it feels like, as I say, that's maybe where their focus should be, and Raheem Sterling, it's it's not a... It's not a natural fit for this Chelsea team for me. But as I say, maybe Tuchel's got something else in mind. Centre-back. Got to be it then, right? <laughs> yeah, the natural evolution of Raheem Sterling's game. Winger, <laughs> striker, centre-back. Don't tempt me with a good time, fellas. There we go. Uh, Joe, your thoughts on this move and, and a bit about Lukaku making a move back to Italy. Sure. Which, uh, you know, he's another disappointing Premier League stint for Romelu Lukaku. I'm all for Lukaku going back to Italy because I I think there's a good chance that he can thrive there. So it's unknown exactly what that's going to look like. But we talked about maybe him him going back to Inter and that being a different Inter team under Inzaghi. But I, I still have this suspicion that Lukaku would do very, very well there. It just seems like it's an environment that he will enjoy more. And Lukaku, when he's enjoying his game and enjoying playing, he's one of the best players to watch in the world. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the world. So anywhere where Lukaku can go and get minutes and start to get comfortable again and enjoy playing soccer, I'm all for that as a neutral sort of third party. And I think it makes sense for Chelsea to get him out in one way or another. It doesn't seem like that worked, and and I don't know that they really need to labor over trying to fix that as long as Thomas Tuchel is still in charge. So I'm, I'm all for Lukaku finding a new home somewhere, whether that be in Italy or somewhere else with Inter or somewhere else. And then as far as Sterling goes, for me, the only way this, this makes sense is if this is the first move of a series of moves for Chelsea. And I'm sure it will be, right? I, it seems very unlikely that they add Sterling and don't subtract anyone else in the attack or don't add in other places. So this, for me, is kind of the first stage of what Chelsea's summer transfer window is going to look like. And we'll just learn more as the summer goes on. All right, Tater, um, elsewhere in London, uh, Arsenal had success back in the day with a midfielder called Vieira, and they're trying yeah. to repeat that process. Uh, Fabio Vieira going from Porto to Arsenal, uh, the Portuguese midfielder's costing around £34 million. Uh, he set up 14 goals last season, was voted player of the tournament at the under-21 Euros last summer. Yay for Arsenal? I, I think so. Uh, I, I, I welcome Joe and Graham to give their thoughts on this one if they're more familiar with Fabio Vieira because I'm only familiar with him from what I've read about him since this transfer a little bit, uh, watching some highlights of him and some footage of him. But, but for the most part, he's a player that I've only read about. What I have read is very positive. Uh, he's, what, 22 years old, played 39 games across all competitions for Porto last season, uh, 40 million euros if like he meets some incentives, but a 35 million base transfer fee. But the thing that I'm kind of confused about is, from what I have read, uh, he seems like more of a number 10 or a midfield creator, Mm -hmm. where they already have plenty of options there, uh, be it Odegaard, be it uh, Emile Smith-Rowe. And so some of the reporting seems to indicate that a lot of this is just that his buyout clause was 50 million euros, but he was available for much cheaper. So they made that deal happen. Uh, uh, His Porto manager furious that that buyout clause was not met and that he was let leave uh, for relatively cheap. 
And he is a player who can play as a number eight, a number 10, as I said. He can play wide and cut inside onto his left. Uh, but it's another one where it seems like there is already a good amount of depth there for Arsenal. Mikel Arteta talked about wanting more technical players, more creative players, so maybe this is just a move towards that, and he's going to strengthen that midfield with some technical ability. But it is also a player, forgive me for going the kind of lazy analysis route, who is five foot seven, And that jump to the Premier League can always be difficult if you're a player who can be knocked around a little bit more, uh, and that is maybe a little bit more allowed in the Premier League, I think adjusting to that will give us a strong indicator as to how well uh, Vieira is going to adjust in his first season. Hmm. Vieiras don't usually get bullied at Arsenal, Graham. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think Taylor's spot on. It fe- this feels like a, a depth signing for me with Arsenal. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to replace Odegaard or even Smith Rowe in the, in, in the depth chart. But I think that's kind of the point for Arsenal because one of the problems that they had last season was they just didn't have the depth behind their, their strongest 11 players to sustain that top four challenge over the whole season. And that was one of the criticisms that was made of of not so much Arteta, but the front office at Arsenal was there were players who were sent out on loan by Arsenal last season who probably could have been useful to them over the course of the season and might have kept them in the top four. And they, they, they were criticised for allowing Aubameyang to leave in January, not replacing him. So I think they do need um, some depth behind that midfield in particular. And I think that's what Fabio Vieira is is going to be for Arsenal. I think there are a lot of questions about Arsenal in this transfer window because they, they certainly need a number nine. Uh, Aubameyang left in January. Lacazette's already signed for Lyon. I know Eddie Nketiah has, has signed a new contract, but is he going to be the, the first choice? So it kind of feels in a strange way like Arsenal are getting the supply line sorted out before they actually have the person the striker to take advantage of it. And one of the interesting things about Vieira is he had a very strong season in terms of assisting and linking up with uh, Mary Taremi, who's a, a centre forward for, for Porto last season. So there is that, there, there, there is uh, there's suggestions that if Arsenal get the right person in, then Vieira is the sort of player who is going to get the best out of a striker because Arsenal's problem last season wasn't so much creating chances, but converting them. But it is strange that they've gone for this deal first rather than going for the number nine and then sorting out these these depth options. But as Taylor says, maybe it's just the case that a good deal came up and Arsenal felt they needed to to make the most of it. Yeah, it's early in the window, of course, as well, Graham, isn't it? These, are, Indeed. these big deals have plenty of time to go. Joseph Lowry, if you'll allow me to move slightly further over in North London to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, we know they brought in even Perisic a little while ago in this window and now they've added Yves Basuma from Brighton. Um, he had one year left at Brighton and evidently they've cashed in on that one. What do you think about that move, Joe? Yeah, well, my first thought is Brighton have done an excellent job of bringing through and providing a platform for talented and slightly less heralded players to shine. And Busuma, I think, is one of those players. He is a midfielder, a central midfielder, a defensive midfielder, very, very mobile, really good ground coverage. He's good in tight spaces on the ball. He likes to dribble in central areas. That's one of the first things I think you'll notice about him besides his defensive range. If you watch Basuma play, he'll get on the ball and he'll drive it forward. He's a really strong ball progressor in that way. The the, the interesting thing about Basuma is in possession, he doesn't pass the ball all that much. He's one of the lowest uh, players in terms of percentile in FB refs uh, progressive passes in Europe's top five leagues, or at least he was last season. He will almost always prefer to drive the ball forward over passing. So I'm curious to see how that plays out for Conte. I think there is certainly room for an aggressive, dynamic midfielder in that group. I just wonder, 
you know, is that something, is, is passing, in improving Basuma's passing game going to be a high priority for Conte? Does he have something else for him in mind? Either way, I think this signing strengthens Tottenham. I, I think Basuma's a good player, and Tottenham just need more quality. Conte certainly feels that way, and I think he's right. They need more quality if they're really going to compete either in Europe or in England, and I think Basuma gets them a half step closer to doing that. Hmm. Anybody else any thoughts on Basuma before we move I- on? I really like this deal. Really, really like this deal. I think Yves Basuma is ready for the next step in his career. I saw a quote from him that says, uh, he's not short of confidence. Yves Basuma said he's the best Premier, uh, best midfielder in the Premier League. So well, hopefully that confidence will serve him well at, at Spurs. But I, I, what I like about this is coming into this window, I was pretty sure that Conte was going to sign another two-way central midfielder just because he has Bentoncourt, who I think is bedded in well in that midfield. And you look through Conte's teams at Chelsea, Juventus, Inter, and he always has two two-way midfielders and a double pivot in the centre of the pitch. And so I thought Basuma would be an option. And to get him for £25 million, I know he was into the last year of his contract, but he's 25, he's coming into the best years of his career. I, I think this could end up being one of the signings of the summer. And I'm not too worried about... Joe, you're right, he's not the best passer of the ball. But when you look at Spurs and how they play, the player who maybe does that the most for Spurs and, and plays the balls, the, the, the passes forward is Harry Kane, who drops deep into that position. And so I'm not too worried about that because I feel between Harry Kane, who obviously isn't a central midfielder, but does do that role. And then I'm looking at players like um, Oliver Skip and Harry Winks. and old Winks might leave the club and uh, Hoiberg, who, who's, a, who's a decent passer of the ball. I do think that Conte has got a good midfield unit there. I like the signing of Ivan Perisic as well. I think they'll probably add another central defender. So if Spurs get all their business done well and early this summer, I'm very, very interested to see how they do next season because obviously they're, they're already up into the top four with Conte. They're in the Champions League this season and it really does feel like of all the teams, I think City and Liverpool are still quite a bit ahead of the rest, but if there is one team that's maybe going to bridge that gap, it could be Spurs next season. Interesting stuff. Uh, Taylor, a couple of uh, defensive Premier League transfers to discuss as well. Uh, Diego Carlos moving from Sevilla to Villa. A couple of letters difference there for the Brazilian defender. Fun times. Uh, Yes, and I'm sure that will be the major thing that is discussed about that one, at least for me, because I don't have a ton to say other than that it's Villa basically making, I think, a smart signing that gives them strength immediately. And I think for Steven Gerrard, that's a thing he's going to be wanting this offseason. So I think it's, it's a number of sensible signings in the Premier League, sensible in quotes because I think for most other leagues that would be record-breaking, but when you're the Premier League and you've kind of weathered the COVID storm the way they have, have the money that they do, I think they can afford to splash these ca- the, the cash for these types of moves, and I think it will make Villa all the better for it. Carlos doesn't jump off the page to me. When you watch Sevilla, it's always Kunde who is the guy that, that sort of jumps with his passing range and ability, and, and there's a very clear reason why he's been the target and, and, and been the subject of interest from so many gigantic clubs. Carlos is a level down for me in that way, but as you say, Taylor, he is a, a ready starter. He's ready to come in and play big yeah. minutes immediately for Aston Villa. He's 29. He's not a particularly adventurous passer, like I said, but he can cover ground. He's aggressive defensively. He's a steady presence there, and he can recycle possession and open open up and occasionally play some, some good long balls forward. So he's not a, oh my goodness, this is an amazing signing for Aston Villa, but I don't think that's really what they're looking for right now, nor do I think that's what they probably should be looking for. Carlos getting him involved feels like a good step for this team. This is a very Stevie G signing for me. He's he's very much following the Rangers uh, blueprint. 
that he had and players like so Diego Carlos is, is Connor Goldson Ger- Gerard looked for a very physical central defender to just provide a bit more physicality and, and Goldson's not necessarily the one to bring the ball out from the back although I'd argue he is probably slightly better on the ball than Diego Carlos but Diego Carlos is going to um, bring that physicality he's strong in the air he is a, is a, a very traditional centre back and when you look at Konsa and Mings last season I think they had underwhelming seasons so that he has an upgrade on those guys. Then you have Bubakar Kamara, who I think is the the almost the Glenn Kamara and coming into that team, the, the Villa team. And then he he's obviously brought in Coutinho on a permanent deal. That's someone like Yanis Hadji. So these are probably these guys, these Rangers guys are probably not people that uh neutrals have really heard of, but what I'm saying is Gerard has a blueprint that worked from it, Rangers, and it feels like he's trying to carry that over to Villa in terms of how he's building this team. And Graham, the other Premier League big defensive deal that's just gone through, Anath Aguirre coming from Wren to West Ham. Apologies if I uh, slightly mispronounced the name there, but the Moroccan defender costing around thirty million for the Hammers. I think that's this is a replacement for Craig Dawson, if if you ask me. I can't pretend that I've watched a great deal of Aguarda. I mean, I, I, I he'll have been in matches that I have watched. Wren were in the Champions League a, a couple of seasons ago. They played Chelsea, so I almost certainly watched those those matches. But he's not a player that I have kept a, a close eye on. But his numbers are are pretty impressive. So last season, three hundred thirty nine duels won, four thousand four hundred three successful passes. Obviously, these are raw numbers without much context. But when you look at where that places him in percentiles, he does have good numbers in, in league un terms. Obviously, making the step up to the Premier League might be a challenge, but I think that fee represents a, a player who probably can make that that step up. In terms of West Ham's business in general this summer, I am wondering when they're going to sign a striker because that is the player that they have needed for at least a whole year. I yeah. was I was uh, sure they were going to sign that player in January. They didn't. It ended up kind of costing them, costing them with injuries. I am sure they're going to sign that player in, in the summer, but it doesn't feel like there's a great deal of speculation around. I'm not entirely sure who they're going for, so maybe they can hijack Dortmund's move for uh, Sebastian Haller. Uh, Graham, <laughs> Graham, who would you, who do you think, or what is like the kind of the type of player, the style of player that that West Ham should be looking for? If David Moyes called you and said, Graham, tell me who to sign. Who are some names mm. you're throwing out? Oh, I hope he did. Well, that. I'm looking for a depth option that can come in when Mikel Antonio can't play. So. The other train of thought is maybe you're looking at a slightly different striker, but they have brought in more traditional penalty box poachers like Vlasic and Haller, and, and it hasn't worked. So I would look for someone who can carry the ball like Antonio can, who has that physicality. I have to say off the top of my head, I'm not entirely sure who who that player is, but that's the sort of profile of player that I would be looking can for. I, all right, I've got two names for you that are like totally ridiculous or totally out there. One, uh, if he is supposed to requirement uh, at one London club, uh, Timo Werner moving to West Ham. Does that make West Ham better or worse or the same? No, I think it makes them, them better. I mean, I know Timo Werner has his flaws, notably not being able to score is a pretty big one for a striker. But if you're looking for a ball carrier, which is just what I've kind of said in terms of a, a depth option for Antonio, although I, he would probably start over Mikel Antonio, I think. Or would he? I'm not sure about that one. But anyway, competition is good. So yes, he would strengthen them. What about Anthony Martial? No, <laughs> I don't think he has the yeah. intensity and physicality for that for that role for West Ham, I have to say. I don't know where said. he goes. Diplomatically <laughs> said. Thank you, Graham. Oh, poor Tony. Um, Graham, by the way, I was at uh, Stratford this weekend at West Ham Stadium. Do you know what was happening at West Ham Stadium on Saturday? I do not. Monster trucks! Of course. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was very that, loud. That stadium, that stadium is a wild ride of different events that happen there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Weezer and Fallout Boy and Green Day are playing there next week. I saw on the poster as well. They have lots going on there, Greg. Not at the same time as the Monster Trucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I would actually quite like, I t- I'd have a ticket to that. I thought, yeah, it, was a, I thought it was a Vortex to 2002. Is that not when they're performing in the year 2002? <laughs> no, okay, okay, cool. Good to know, good to know. Yeah, yeah. Nostalgia is quite um, marketable at the moment. Who knew, Taylor? Um, yeah, but uh, interesting there. Uh, it is a, a very nice stadium complex, albeit, you know, a bit controversial that they moved there in the first place. It did West Ham. Uh, a little uh, word you mentioned about Haled Graham um, potentially going to Bifal Bay, but Karim Adiemi has gone from Salzburg to Dortmund as well. So seems like they are whipping out the wallet to spend that um, money they might have got for another striker mm. who has departed for Manchester City. So it's 32 million as Adiemi cost them. Uh, 23 goals for Salzburg uh, last season. Um, a Haaland replacement there? Or, or, or are, we, are we calling Halal that, Graham? What do we think? I, th- I think... So in many ways, this was the archetypal Borussia Dortmund move. And that as soon as one of their best players was sold on for a big fee, as you say, in this case, Erling Haaland, they had someone else ready to come in. And I think Dortmund might even have announced the Adeyemi deal within about an hour or two of uh, Haaland going to yeah. City. He'd been linked with them for a while. He'd impressed at uh, Red Bull Salzburg, where obviously Dortmund got Haaland from initially. So the trade route between these two clubs is already established. So it feels very much like a Dortmund signing. I have found Dortmund's business as a whole really interesting this summer because I'm, I I do think there is going to be some evolution. Obviously, Marco Rosa is gone. Uh, Terzic is back in, in, in charge in, in, a, in a permanent role this time. And Adeyemi, I think he might be the player who really illustrates what Terzic wants to do with this team because he could play as the Haaland replacement. He does have a lot of qualities similar to Haaland. You know, his, his key quality is acceleration and, and, and pace. I saw him described as a, as a one-man counter-attack and that, that pretty much sums up what makes him so dangerous. So in that respect, I can see why Dortmund wanted him to replace Haaland because that was something that they, they did with Haaland to the point of the team's detriment, I felt, with Haaland, where they were sometimes lazy of just lumping the ball up into space for Haaland, and that came at the cost of structure in, mid- in midfield and defensive organisation. So they can't fall into that trap with Adeyemi. But Adeyemi is a little bit more versatile in that he can play... So he kind of drifts out wide. He he can play in as, as part of a front two, which is maybe what Terzic is thinking with bringing in Sebastian Heller. So maybe that's going to be a strike partnership. And then in terms of the business that Dortmund have done elsewhere, they've brought in Nicolas Sula, obviously, from, from uh, Bayern Munich. Schlotterbeck has signed. So that's their new defensive centre-back pairing. They can use that centre-back pairing in the back four that they have used. But I think everything ahead of that is kind of up for grabs in terms of what Terzic wants to do with this team. And I would like to see Hilaire and Adeyemi used as a front two because I think uh, Adeyemi has, has played really well in that role for Salzburg and he is a, a very exciting player. Joe, do we like this deal? I like both of these deals for Dortmund, both Adeyemi and Hilaire. I think... I think there is potential for them to play together, Graham, like you're saying. Their, their styles are not so similar that it makes it awkward for them to play together. And even strikers with similar profiles, I think, can work together in the right situation. But they're different. Haller loves the box. He loves to move really within the width of the penalty area and, and the, the goal mouth, excuse me, when he, when he gets forward. So he is a, a really dangerous player inside the 18, and we saw that plenty for Ajax, one of the best teams in all of Europe this past season. Haller can, can work inside the box and in and around the 18, and Adeyemi can be the more dynamic, energetic presence. I think there's room for them to play together. I also think Dortmund just need talent. We saw that this past season. They need quality, and getting both of these players in, even if it's not Terzic's plan to play them together every single game, 
having different looks to use in different situations in Europe and in the league, that only feels like a good thing for me. So I think Haller and, and Adeyemi were two of the best forwards on the market, and they both feel like very Dortmund players and Dortmund clubs to be reaching for, both from Salzburg and from Ajax here. Good stuff. Uh, Tater, any thoughts on this one? Adeyemi could be a, a national team star. He's already played in qualification. Uh, seems to be part of Hansi Flick's plans as well. Uh, my, my only thought, and this is maybe like... I don't know, two, two out there is just that like, I agree with Graham that this seems to be a Dortmund thing of let your best player leave or your major marquee player leave. And then you're signing their replacement almost immediately, which makes sense in terms of showing that you have stability, you have that pipeline in place. The the recruiting network is really great. This really isn't a knock on that. There is a butt coming o- only that, it, it sort of establishes the pattern, though. And so I'll say that when, when they announced the Adeyemi signing, I was excited about that. I think he'll be very good for them. But my immediate joke was like, I wonder how many years it will be before Bayern tries to buy him or before City tries to buy him. And there is a weird thing about when you establish that pipeline and that pattern, it starts to be your identity. And and so like Dortmund do occasionally have that vibe of like a, a selling club that is also the second biggest team in Germany, uh, I, I, w- I would argue, fairly comfortably that they're the second biggest team in Germany. So it's just an odd juxtaposition. It makes sense. It's how they function. But it also, I feel like, for me, a neutral slash outsider makes it seem like it would be hard to function in in terms of long-term stability and planning, knowing that your best players could be poached two or three seasons from now. Yep. And I think Hilaire, the Hilaire signing shows that maybe they're going to try and have a hybrid approach where, yes, they are still signing the... Schlotterbecks and and the Adeyemi, but even Nicolas yeah. Sula as well. You know, Nicolas Sula is at the peak of his of his of his career. He's already been at Bayern Munich, so they're not really signing him with a a view to selling him on. And I would argue similar with Haller. You know, he's twenty seven years old. He's already had that Premier League move. So are one of the big Premier League clubs going to come in for him? It seems unlikely. So I would argue that. Dortmund are kind of meshing the two approaches now where yet they're not going to build a a team of 30 year olds but they might bring in a little bit of experience or at least players in their peak to add to those youngsters that they can sell on for big fees yeah like Uh, Dortmund are meshing their approach so West Ham can do the same thing David Moyes goes to the monster truck rally spots one that he really likes Gravedigger starts for West Ham next season I don't see how you stop that (laughs) is that the kind of name a monster truck has Gravedigger it, that is the monster truck, my friend. How dare you? Is it really? It, 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 I think it's the only one that I can name. Gravedigger and Zombie. And there's a Scooby-Doo one as well. That's what I've got for you. <laughs> I should have actually attended this event rather than just listening to it from the outside. Joe, uh, you're from Arizona. Family. I think you can major in monster trucks in Arizona. Any thoughts on monster truck rallies? Joe owns a monster truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, a whole, I have a whole slew of monster trucks in my backyard. Taylor, your names are spot on. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. (laughs) On that, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few teams and what they may need. And we'll talk a little bit about that Man United CEO and his chat with some strangers in a bar back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking transfers. During the break, we've all been researching uh, Monster Jam Monster Trucks. Uh, Gravedigger, as Taylor has confirmed, seems to be a very cool one. It kind of looks a bit like a hearse. Um, I think it is. I think that's how it yeah. started. Yeah, very You can get a Lego version. <sighs> is there nothing they won't sell to us, uh, man, children, Graham? <laughs> That's what I ask. That's what I nope. ask. <laughs> I'm sold. I've ordered one already. Okay, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the uh, situation in Manchester, Tate? Uh, as we mentioned at the top Lovely. of the show, the CEO, the new CEO, Richard Arnold, yes, we must, I'm afraid, uh, met some disgruntled fans at a local pub. Though These same fans, Tate, that reportedly had been planning to protest mm-hmm. outside his house uh, amid continuing unrest about the Glazer family and the situation at Manchester United. Um, and instead of uh, having this protest take place out of uh, side of his house, Richard Arnold instead bought drinks for this group and then sort of discussed a range of topics and was reasonably indiscreet and was covertly filmed while uh, being yeah. indiscreet. He said last year was an... Uh, pooping nightmare. He said, uh, we've blown through an enormous amount of money. And then he also said, money isn't an issue when uh, presumably trying to increase the potential transfer fees for, for potential <laughs> purchases for Manchester United in the coming months. What did you make of this, Taylor? I, I, I think, okay, maybe this is just like my cynicism, my frustration with that club showing. So I, I welcome uh, other folks to tell me that I'm incorrect. But there was a part of me, Ryan, you spotlighted it, that Richard Arnold was so surprised that this conversation leaked and that he had said, you know, I'll, I'll talk with you, but I'd prefer it not be made public. I want, you know, I want my remarks to be confidential. But, like, you're doing this in a pub with people who are about to march to your house to protest you. I don't understand why you would think that they're going to sort of honor some informal agreement to not record the chief executive of the club that they most love talking about the inner workings of that club. It seems like that would be an obvious thing that would happen. So some of the (laughs) surprise and his frustration that this was leaked stands at odds with me because I keep trying to look at this and think, like, did he want this to leak? Was this done on purpose? Because otherwise it just seems a little bit naive uh, for a person who's in charge of Man United. The, the best thing was the comments of, from other Man United fans when the video leaked. And they're saying, no, you shouldn't be publishing this. You're ruining it for everybody. And like, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. I want to know if his pint buying strategy is similar to Manchester United's transfer market strategy. Like he's, he's getting around and he's like, right, what does everyone want? And they're like, okay, four, four pints of lager. Okay, four gin and tonics. No, not four gin and tonics pints of lager okay 10 gin and tonics <laughs> and this is like how he negotiates was, a bar just the same as he negotiates the transfer market yeah, there was there was a great like sketch of that done a, f- a few years ago it was when liverpool were buying all the southampton players because it was manchester united like like a person in manchester united jersey walking up to the bar being told it was five pounds and they hand them a 20 pound note and walk away uh and that's what they paid for it and then there's <laughs> another one where a person in the southampton jersey buys a round of beers and then someone in the liverpool jersey walks up and buys them for twice the price and then takes that round of drinks and walks away so so, yeah, I feel like that is the Manchester United approach of or, order the wrong thing, but then at a certain point, wait yeah. and like leave the beer on the yeah, counter and expect the bartender to lower the price. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he orders a pint of lager, then just waits until one minute before closing time and goes, I'll take my Ron Fellini. Oh, <laughs> oh, that one still hurts. That one still cuts deep. Uh, so I think, though, his remarks were also very interesting. Uh, I think they said... 
a lot of what people kind of expected was the case in the frustration behind the scenes and how things weren't necessarily going according to plan and how they've changed some of those plans this offseason. But ultimately, I think it's it's just it doesn't really matter until we know what they do this summer, what signings they make, and how the team looks coming out of preseason. Because you can talk all about how you're going to change things and how there's money to be spent and how we want to identify the right players. Like Even I think he mentioned being very confident that the Frankie de Jong signing would end up happening. And then I think today it was reported mm. that he's been told not to sign there by people familiar with the team. Uh, and so it just it doesn't <laughs> seem... Donny van der Beek. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be it. Uh, whereas oh. Daily Blind convinced Marcus Rashford that it would be a good idea to stay is the other headline who knows with that's that how you team. find out who your true friends exactly are. exactly yeah uh, which one yeah. lies to you can i can i address the <laughs> can i address the comments what was it money was no yeah. object or something similar to that effect i now that i've listened back to it and the context of everything he said i think i might have misinterpreted that so i stuck that in the slack chat and went basically went ha what a, what an idiot this guy is but now that i've listened back to it in the context i think he's trying to say there's no budget specifically so it's about whether the player is who the manager wants and is a good fit and then the budget is there to to sign them I think he's I think he worded it poorly and it's come across as a very Ed Wood Woodwardian mm-hmm. if that's a term um phrase of well we can buy whoever we want or mineted and what was the thing Ed Woodward said we can do things in the transfer market that other clubs can only dream of um I don't think he's saying that I think he's trying to explain because you read reports of mineted have got 120 million pounds to spend this summer they've got 200 million pounds I think he's trying to dispel the whole idea that there is a set budget and mineted have to spend that budget this summer it's about getting the right players and if that player is a 100 million pound player then they will they will spend the money to sign that Great. player. Well, I think he's that's what he's trying to say. What you're rationalizing is even worse. He's literally saying money's no object. He's not saying it's a budget. That's worse, isn't it? No, I don't think so because then it's it's purely down to the suitability of the player. So if Frankie de Jong is an 85 million pound player but he's going to be brilliant for Manchester United and the best suit and uh, the best fit and he's going to be perfect for Ten Hag's system then I do think it is right that they, they spend the money on a player like that but it, I think what he's trying to say is there's not like a war chest of 200 million pounds and they it's burning a hole in their pocket and they have to spend it on players this summer or otherwise it disappears like some sort of game show I think that's what he's what he's trying to explain yeah. but maybe i'm giving him too I, much credit. i just think it just sounds worse <laughs> still even when you rationalize it i'm sorry no i mean i but I, th- I think i think i'm not sure graham is trying to make it sound better i think he's just trying to make a clarification there that it's not like he's saying we have all the money in the world or that he's saying we don't have any money but i still kind of go with regardless it, it's it's like saying i can buy a, a 10 billion dollar house as long as they're willing to sell it to me for a price that i'm comfortable with and it has all the terms that i want and also like this this does this like i just think you can say those things but if you're not actually acting on it if you're not actually buying that player and then you're waiting and then uh six months from now well they're maybe going to take a run at him in january it just still starts to feel like a lot of the same and i think Maybe part of that frustration that I'm feeling is also rooted in the conversation they had about the Glazers. And this will uh, hopefully be my final point on this one because I don't want to go too, too long. Um, But I thought it was really interesting that when asked about that and sort of uh, I think it it came about from uh, fans making like negative remarks, leaving negative feedback about sponsors as a sort of grassroots effort to get sponsors to pull out of supporting the club because their idea is that if you don't have sponsors, if they start making less money, that the Glazers will sell. And Richard Arnold basically saying they're not going to sell. The Glazers are not afraid of anybody. Uh, they're not going to be sort of like pulled to task by any sort of 
program like that, they're just going to keep doing what they've done. There were protests when they bought the club, and they still bought the club. I, they're not going to leave. And again, I understand why he's saying that. I understand his goal is basically to say, you're not going to affect the change that you're hoping for. You're not going to get them to leave. So what you can do is work within the confines of the system and and get on the fan advisory board and have that sort of dialogue with them. But I think if things were better, if there was a stronger situation between the club and the supporters, I think that maybe is easier to hear. But instead, me as a fan who's not a big fan of the Glazers just heard that as like, just deal with it. Because these are the people who own the team now and they're not going to get rid of it. So you can protest all you want, but they're still going to be here. So you may as well just buy in and support them. And I guess that is the case when you have an owner who has all the money and can do whatever they want. But that to me was one of the more bleak parts of that conversation of him basically saying, protest all you want. It won't do anything. You may as well just support the club. Yeah. I totally agree to you. That that was the worst bit of everything that he said, but it's maybe unsurprising that he said it because let's just say Manchester United do get bought by different owners, they will bring in their own CEO. So Richard Arnold's uh, job is point. very much tied good to the point. Glazers. Um, so yeah, very unsurprising to me that he would say Thanks, something Graham. like that. I, I think we can we can dig into these comments as much as we want, but the headline here, the overall thing is, this is the first time many soccer fans are hearing this guy's name. And it's in the context of him being indiscreet, talking to drunks, essentially. Not drunks, I'm being I, rude. I still, People who in the pub. I still prefer this approach Agreed. than Ed Woodward's approach, though, of of closing himself away, not speaking for years and years and years. I mean, did Ed Woodward ever... I mean, I know this isn't an interview in an interview setting, but I'm not even sure I know what Ed Woodward's voice sounds like. I now know what Richard Arnold's voice sounds like. I don't think I ever heard Woodward speak in an interview setting. So just like Mickey Mouse, I, I, surprisingly. Not a lot of people know yeah. that. <laughs> well better than donald duck i guess or some <laughs> other disney character but um yeah I, I understand this hasn't gone to plan for richard arnold and it's made him look a little bit foolish but i do feel some sympathy for him and i think this is still despite everything a better approach than anything ed woodward did yeah. the bar is low stars you mean to go on that's low. right joe that's right exactly um, Joe, should we talk maybe a bit about another team whose pockets certainly have no bottom, it would seem, Newcastle United? Um, they haven't made massive money moves so far. I think no. only, is it only Matt Target, I think, who's coming at the moment? Yep. There's been lots of rumours around Newcastle. But do you think, Joe, this is the season where they start making big moves, perhaps? I don't know, Ryan. And I think we're having a similar conversation right now to the one we had before and during the winter transfer window where we, we sort of talked about, are they going to splash the cash right now? How does financial fair play factor in? Or are they going to make more incremental, yes, still expensive signings? We saw them make some big moves in January, but not gigantic, earth-shattering moves relative to the amount of money that they now have and will continue to have at their disposal and relative to the moves that other giant clubs are making. They haven't really done that yet, and I I don't know exactly what to expect from Newcastle in the summer, but it kind of feels to me like they are taking the incremental, we're creeping up towards the European spots. Maybe that's the European, the, the Europa Conference League. Maybe that's the Europa League. Maybe there's still one more season before they get there. I think so far, Newcastle's approach to building a squad has been smart. They're not trying to go and do the FIFA ultimate team or the, the out of the FIFA career mode, whatever it is, where you go in and you can tell I haven't played much FIFA in my life. Sorry, that was really <laughs> embarrassing for everyone associated with this podcast. They're not trying to just overhaul the squad immediately and just think that that's going to work because really it, it tends to not work. It takes a couple of windows to really integrate new players in and build slowly and not tearing everything down on day one. 
I, I kind of have the suspicion that Newcastle might make, they might make one big deal, right? And they might make uh, one marquee signing, but I don't even get the impression that it's going to be a superstar level town. It might be a very, very good player, but I feel like this is a window where we're going to see another one or two medium-sized deals, nothing that's going to blow your mind, and then maybe one player on the larger side of things. But I, I don't really think we have enough information yet to have a great grasp of what Newcastle's approach is going to be. What do you think, Tater? Are Newcastle going to insidiously increase their uh, presence in the Premier League in that sense? I think before they do, they're going to keep getting uh, like used the way big money clubs often have. I saw a report today that Adrian Rabio wants uh, out of Juve. He has one year left on his deal, and he's linked with Manchester United, Chelsea, and Newcastle, which feels like the three Premier League clubs that will spend way too much money. Uh, so maybe that's how Newcastle will first start to make their splash in the transfer market is being linked uh, with every single potential player. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think thus far they've made smart signings and done smart things, much as it pains me. So I, I think what we'll continue to see is Newcastle making signings that sort of back Eddie Howe, as long as that's the manager they're going to stick with. I think the signings that he needs is what he will get. It's going to be Rab- Rabio's mom, I think, uh, replacing Eddie Howe, <laughs> if this is the way things are going. I mean, what could go wrong there? I think that's the best way to do it. Get in Rabio, get in his mom, see what happens. <laughs> Graham, any thoughts on Newcastle? I am surprised that we haven't seen them sign a couple of free agents because I think a consideration for them is financial fair play. Mm. I keep seeing this figure that the the uh, FFP allows them to spend between 60 and 90 million this summer, which obviously is still a lot of money, but it's maybe not as much as p- many people would have predicted. And I think it's kind of hit home for me anyway, just even when you do have the backing of a sovereign wealth fund, it is trickier to build a world-class team now than it was when Roman Bramovich bought Chelsea or even when uh, Sheikh Mansour bought Manchester City. The, the regulations, final f- financial fair play, we all know that's not watertight, but there's no denying it makes it trickier to if you're a team like Newcastle to then build a team that can qualify for the Champions League, never mind uh, win titles. So I am surprised that we haven't seen the likes of Jesse Lingard or I know Andreas Christensen seems like he's going to Barcelona, but I'm surprised we didn't see him linked with Newcastle a bit more. Or if they wanted to make a big splash, Frank Kessier, who I know has also been linked with Barcelona, but they have their own money trouble. So I think I am surprised that they've not done more. And I am surprised that there isn't there aren't more names realistically linked with Newcastle. I know we see Rabio and all those big stars that whose agents are using Newcastle interest as, as you say Taylor but I, I am a little bit surprised we haven't seen a bit more interesting you bring up FFP Graham I was reading I think it was back in April they said that UEFA are changing the regulations slightly and I quote the amount that clubs are permitted to lose over a three-year period will double from 30 million to 60 million euros under the new regulations European clubs will be limited to spending 70% of their revenue revenue on wages transfers and agents fees so it sounds like certainly from that first part that the FFP rules are getting relaxed a little bit. And it's something we hear less about generally, isn't it, Graham? It is, and they have been relaxed. But even still, that £30 million extra, what does that get you in the transfer market? Well, I mean, I I suppose it gets you Sadio Mane, but I've already said that is, uh, I'm surprised that he's gone for that low amount. But in the transfer market, £30 won't really... It certainly won't build you a whole team capable of challenging for the top four in one transfer window. So it is still quite tricky. Indeed. And if you're Man City or Club of the Rilk, you could just sue your wafer to the ground until they give up on their FFP, right? That is the other option, yes. 
that's how it works. Cool. Uh, Tater, any more transfer dealings before we head off into the sunset today? I think we've pretty much gone around the house. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you've you've ended it on the bleakest but most realistic note possible. <laughs> so thank you for that. I think we're good. I think we're good. Excellent stuff. Taylor, thank you very much for your contributions today. I'm still shaken that you have shunned uh, Window CFC and our United for uh, middle seat. I Rovers, have not. But, uh, I will not buy this slander. Uh, I, I will not go middle seat. I will go window seat before aisle seat. You slandered yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Man United. Uh, uh, by, I'll take you all to a pub. You this on yourself. I'm going to have a loud conversation that I'm going to ask you not to air, and it will be all about how I love the middle seat and pay exorbitant prices to get it. Hey, going to the pub. You're not the pilot here, Taylor. Boom, boom. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for your contributions. TSS Monster Jam meetup in Glendale, Arizona Woo. on October 1st, anybody? Huh? Huh? Will Gravedigger be there? Uh, I would assume so, Graham. I would assume Lego so. Lego or otherwise? Both. We'll make it both. Just for you, Graham. <laughs> I am sold. Graham, thank you very much, as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. All right, listen, thank you very much for joining us. We will be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye. Gravedigger. Gravedigger.